Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to episode 476 with my return guest, Carissa Strasser. I'm Paul Gilmartin. Uh, this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. Uh, I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. More like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Maybe there are waiting rooms out there that uh, that are fantastic. That people don't want to leave. They don't want to go in there and see the doctor. They want to live there in the waiting room. Big comfy couch. Big fish tank. Live band. Circus performers. Tiny version of Cirque du Soleil right there in the waiting room. I want to read an email that I got from somebody uh, refers to wants to be referred to as Mr. N., and he writes, uh, Hi, Paul, I like the episode with Fallon. Uh, Fallon is a, a trans woman that was a couple of episodes ago. And it sparked a question, what is gender? I get sex being XX and XY chromosomes, but what did she mean by, quote, gender is what you go to bed as, unquote? I can't grasp the concept of that. I get masculine versus feminine, but everything else doesn't click. And I wrote him back and I said, First of all, thanks so much for your question. It's great. And I'm probably the wrong person to ask about gender as I'm still navigating the subtleties of what it encompasses. But my take is that gender is how we present ourselves or how we think of ourselves, you know, as male or female or in between or no gender at all. And it has nothing to do with biology, you know, like sex, for instance, and chromosomes. And it has more to do with self-expression. And I think Fallon's description might have been a little confusing for some people because the word bed was in there. And she didn't mean um, sexual uh, sexuality, rather who we are to ourselves. 
And to me, masculine and feminine are adjectives rather than nouns uh, and genders like male, female, et, et cetera. And I hope that makes sense. But thank you. It's a, it's a great, it's a great question. This is an awfulsome moment that I got from a woman who calls herself under pressure. And she writes, a few years ago during my last year in the army, I was in two car accidents, neither of which were my fault, uh, is in parentheses. Um, that later resulted in a herniated disc. Of course, I didn't know what it was at the time. A couple of weeks after the incidents, I bent over in my kitchen to reach for something and I felt an immense pain shooting up and down my spine. My legs gave out and I couldn't move. I was screaming in pain and my husband had an ambulance come for me. Later, at an emergency urgent care center uh, two blocks away from my home, I waited for several hours in excruciating pain, only for the doctor to tell me that I'm just constipated. He then rolls me over and puts a gloved finger in my asshole to, quote, examine me. I was in too much pain to protest. He then proceeds to tell me that I'm backed up, prescribes me laxatives, and discharges me while I still can't walk. The staff then kicked me out into the waiting room. All I could do was lean on a chair, hurled over in pain, hurled over, maybe it's curled over, uh, while I waited for my husband to come and get me. They treated me like an animal, and I still to this day have no idea why that doctor put his finger in my asshole. Part of me thinks that maybe he got some sick pleasure out of it. Anyway, I went to a different hospital where they gave me morphine and kept their hands to themselves. Also, in case that kinky quack is listening, it's okay. I forgive you. You're not the first person to do that and certainly weren't the last. I've since received better treatment and my back is doing much better. Wow. I cannot fathom a reason why that person would have done that within the medical realm. Um I mean, I go to the dentist, and when I get my teeth clean, they enter through my butthole. But that makes sense because it's a better angle to get at the molars. But this sounds inappropriate. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> my ex-wife, when she would go to the dentist, uh, she was went into the dentist one time to have her wisdom teeth pulled, and she put a note in her panties that said, what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> oh, that still makes me laugh. Uh, this is from the love survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Village Witch 666, and she writes, I love warm chocolate chip cookies fresh out of the oven when a cat voluntarily sits in your lap making a stupid pun and someone actually laughing at it and when you check your engine and when your check engine light turns off by itself that is a great one oh my god that's like somebody going going to the uh taking your car in for you uh this is from the same survey filled out by a guy who calls himself John Hancock suck and his love Two words, lazy rivers. And I assume that he means the, 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 the rivers that take a lot of curves and move kind of slowly, uh, which I love. I love just going and just sitting right there on the banks 
and uh, just enjoying the lazy river and just telling it over and over and over, get a job, get a job. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I hope one day, if I retire to someplace that has a lot of nature around it, I can afford a piece of land that has a river in it. There's something so soothing about just hearing or watching water go by. Sometimes I'll just sit on my toilet and flush over and over again and pretend that I'm in the mountains. This is from the love survey f- filled out by a genderqueer person who refers to themselves as Simmerine. And they write, sinking a hot spoon into a fresh jar of peanut butter and feeling it cleanly melt through the surface. That is a great one. Oh my God. So great. Uh, one of our sponsors for today, as always, is BetterHelp.com, an online therapy provider. Uh, can't say enough good things about them. Uh, I talk about them every week, uh, how helpful my therapist has been to me, and how much I love doing therapy from the comfort of my recliner in my living room. I love it. Love not having to battle traffic and it's it's great just doing it by video. Uh, so if you've never tried it or you're kind of interested, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from this podcast. And then just fill out a questionnaire. And if they have a counselor they think is a good match for you, they will pair you up with one and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is a good fit for you. And you need to be over 18. And then this is a love's uh, survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Jay. 
And she writes, I love it when I'm in the shower and the sun comes through my bathroom window and filters through my white shower curtain, making my shower space glow. Even in the darkest times of the year, I can bathe in this soft light and remember that there is still lots of light and warmth in the world. Every little thing feels like the end of the world. The darkness came so quickly. I was so fucking angry. Make me as close to dead as possible. And I felt so powerless. Without the commitment. If there's a word for it. Unbearable. It means somebody else felt this way. The feeling is so intense. It is a lot more work. I was frightened all the time. To feed a child's emotional world. Everyone feels pain. Than it is their superficial world. Everyone suffers. My sexual addiction was the shame. My mom ended up killing that woman in front of me and my brothers. I had to feel that shame in order to feel the pleasure and i was being a dick to everybody we are social beings and the only way you're going to get it out is to cry we need to be with people i grabbed them by their throats and led them down to the floor and watched the breath leave their bodies maybe well, listen thanks people. for coming in <laughs> i'm here with return guest one of my favorite guests ever Teresa strasser you were voted the number one episode of our of our first season and i still think it's it's a gold standard for for this show it just nailed it on all cylinders and you're fucked now because you have to try to recapture that and there's no recapturing it so it's really yes. a downward slide why do you think i've never been back it's because i haven't wanted you back <laughs> it's 2011 we had you on a little of me goes a long way paul no, I love Once it. a decade. I, I haven't seen you in person probably since then. Since then. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you were sitting in my living room on Ambrose Avenue. Yeah. And you uh, had just come out of a super dark place yeah. with your first pregnancy. You didn't think you were cut out to be a mom and you broke down and you were talked about this moment when when your dad, you told your dad you didn't know if you could stick around because you didn't think you could handled being a mom and, and you remember what your dad said to you um i i think i said to him you'd be okay right you'd be okay oh if i if if, if I, I just left. checked out if right. i left and i think he was confused like where where are you going right i mean like left left yeah. and he said no i i wouldn't be okay i'd never be okay and here's the clip that uh, we're talking about from 2011 do you mind being more specific about the lengths you were considering going to Okay. All right. Well, I did call my dad because one of the things that was concerning me was that he was going to take it hard because we're still really close, even though he never bothered to molest me. So <laughs> I, I, I'm really, really close to my dad. Yeah. So I thought, eh, now that I'm a parent, I know that would be a horrible feeling. Because people would look at you with a stink eye. Mm -hmm. You're the guy whose daughter killed herself. Mm -hmm. And you probably were bad. Like, I knew it would be... But my dad is an incredibly sunny person. He could be sunny about stage five lung cancer, and there's only stage four. You know what right. I mean? Like, he yeah. could make you feel better about anything. Right. So, I called him, and, and I, I, I'd, I, I had already convinced myself that because he was so sunny that he'd be fine about it. Mm -hmm. But I just called and I said, you know, um, I just, I just want to go. What do you mean? Go where? He, he's my dad. You know, he knew. I said, I just, I just want to go. I feel like Buster would be better without me. You know, Daniel will meet somebody else. Buster's your nickname for your yeah. little boy. He'll be better off without me. 
I'm not doing a good job. My, my, my husband will meet somebody else. I just like, it hurts. I just want to go. I just want to leave. And, and then I said, I know you'll be fine. And he's, he said, I'll never ever be fine. If you go, <laughs> we got in his car and he came down here, which was, you know, a 12 hour drive. <laughs> but it was weird to hear him say that. He just said, you're wrong. I'll never be fine. I'll never, ever be fine. And, you know, I talked to my therapist and she said, I, I explained to her that I felt that Buster would be better off without me because I wasn't doing a good job. And she said, uh, she said, do you know what I did my gradual, graduate thesis in? Uh, kids whose parents kill themselves. And uh, get, he's not going to be fine. He's never going to be fine. So, you know, hearing that, was I it sort of didn't really believe her that he'd be better with me than with you know whoever else my, my husband would marry after me but um but you know when I I literally just needed two nights of sleep and to be with my child because I think not being there when he woke up in the morning and being the person who changed his diaper and just being the first, like I didn't feel like his mom. And, you know, it was a really weird transition for me. I didn't have postpartum, but there was something unreal about it. Like I'd get in my car and see the car seat and I'd wonder, whose car is this? Like, why is there a baby seat in my car? You know, it didn't. And I thought, why do I feel this way? Why don't I feel natural? And obviously, you know, not obviously, but I think I was just freaked out that um, I was going to be, you know, like my mom. I was going to, greet motherhood with a very weak handshake mm -hmm. and i wasn't gonna like it i wasn't gonna be good at i wasn't gonna be a natural like i thought i think of it like basketball players you know like there are michael jordans those are naturals and you see those moms and then there are Derek fishers and you know they work hard in in, in the off season and they they have hustle and you want Derek fish and then there's people that are just stiffs you know what i mean mm -hmm. and um i thought you know, that um, because of the uh, way I was raised and because my mom didn't like being a mom, that I, you know, I was just scared. And and uh, when I had a few days, the other thing is that my mom was living here to help with the baby. And I think having her around was... She was or was not she living? She was here. Uh -huh. Because I would get up at 4.30 and leave and she would come over every morning to mm -hmm. help with the baby, which was very generous. But I think being around her all the time was uh was deeply painful because she would say things like well we're just not naturals about um wow. yeah and when she'd see me interact with my kid and during that um after i had the the incident yeah. after the meltdown uh she left and i felt so much better just not seeing that woman every day like god bless her for helping me but it was very triggering seeing her every day and thinking that 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 i was her and when she left i realized holy fuck i'm not her i love being a mom and i might fuck it up and i might make mistakes but my child is going to see that when he walks into a room i'm fucking happy to see him and that's the end of the clip heavy i'm just gonna let the silence sit how's it going <laughs> just before we started recording was, you were uh you were sharing with me how, how difficult it had become having so many dark conversations and you were glad i was here to lighten it up yes. 30 seconds in and, and i was suicide the one, talk yes and i'm the one that that started off maybe there's something inside me that is just so drawn 
to the darkness in human beings. Well, I know there is, but, but like, I am so excited that Mindhunter has a second season coming uh, Thursday night. It, it, I, every day, I'm like, oh God, I can't wait to Just watch that Just counting down. Show. Can't wait to watch that show. But I think there's just a difference between watching a show about that stuff mm-hmm. and sitting down and talking to somebody who's going through something that's super dark that has no resolution well i think one of the 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 day i spoke to you Mm -hmm. i felt so free because here's something i couldn't tell you on that day are you ready Mm -hmm. so i told you that i'd been having a hard time (laughs) Mm -hmm. i had a little bit of a misunderstanding with a mental health care professional that they felt that it would be better if I were not out and about. And so... They wanted to hospitalize you? <laughs> they, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, there was a misunderstanding and they... I was... You know what? I was like to think that I was 51, 49. <laughs> <laughs> but they felt that I was 51, 50. We disagreed. And I've debated about whether to tell you this until this very moment. Really? Why Why would you hesitate saying that? Have well, you not I, said anything not, publicly? Nope. No. The only people who know this are the, the therapist that I had, Sharon and Tarzana, who feels horrible. Because mm-hmm. basically it was her fault. <laughs> She's a great therapist. And then, um, uh, it, it, was the, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And when I saw you, it might have been two days later. What what was the greatest thing that ever happened to you? The, having a mental breakdown? All of it. Having the breakdown, getting locked up, and then getting free. Because, and I don't mean to make light of this, because there are people for whom... You've earned your right to make <laughs> light of it, Teresa. I can't believe I'm if, telling if, you this. If you had never been oh my God. in a psychiatric institution and you were... <laughs> I shitting on those who had been Paul, that would be different. I fucking flew over the cuckoo's nest. Well, I tried what, to fly over. What what, what but happened? I went in. What what happened? Okay. So so what happened was um as I talked to you about there had been a, a couple weeks where I I had severe sleep deprivation. I had an 18-month-old. He kept getting sick, and it was nothing serious. It was like a sinus infection, hand, foot, and mouth disease, uh, ear infection. But he was always up all night, and I was doing morning radio at KABC. So I would wake up and do the news. In fact, the day I was 5150, Paul, I did the news on the radio. Wow. So I really, it was, I was, um, I was over-treated, and it could have really hurt me. How do you mean over-treated? Well... What was wrong with me was just a classic sleep deprivation, like what would happen to, um, like, a, I don't know, a, a, an air traffic controller, a, mm-hmm. a, a pilot. Um, but th- this happens to moms, especially new moms. I had an 18-month-old, but it just happened that there was like a, a run of illnesses and he would be up all night. Right. So I started having auditory hallucinations. I could hear him crying when he wasn't crying because I was hyper vigilant. I was high on high alert for the sound of my child crying. And also I worked this morning radio job. I had the weird hours. So I was up, up to leave at, at four. And, um, I just, I, I got really messed up and as well as having. The things I, I talked to you about, the fears that I'm not doing a good job. I'm not cut out for this. I'm not going to be good at this. Right. Um, 
here I sit. Which were exacerbated by your mother also telling you that. Yes, yes. I mean, we were not... at the we were at the park, and she saw a mother like if it was a movie, it'd be like um, just sun dappling through the woman's wavy hair, and she was whirling her kid around joyfully. And my mom looked at me and said, "We're not that. We're we're not naturals." She said, "We're not naturals." Like it was baseball, mm-hmm. and like my swing had a hitch in it. Um, I've since come to believe, truly believe, that I'm pretty good at it. I now have two. And um, of all the doubts and fears I have about myself and insecurities, how good I am as a mom is just not one of them today. I can, re- I can, I, I make mistakes. I'm, I'm pretty good. That's, you said that that book, being a good enough parent, really helped you. <laughs> I remember that from, yeah, from yeah. the episode. I it's, think I had read, and by the way, you know where I read it? In the in nut the, hat, in the mental hints. Because I don't want to make, can I call it a nut hat? You can call it whatever you want. I, by the way, I should yeah. say that I've never felt saner. In, it, within 24 hours, it was my most insane and my most sane. Do you know how sane you have to be to talk yourself out of a 5150 hold? I talk myself out of, of a mental institution. You t- to the staff? To, to the psychiatrist on duty. But the problem was, he was the only person who could release me. That was their policy. So once they put the butterfly net over me and took me away, right. I knew this was a mistake. The weird thing was, and I don't want to scare anyone so how- off of ever checking into any institution. Right. And that's part of the reason why I, I, I was nervous to talk about it. Right. Because there, there is a suicide epidemic and there is... There's a mental health care crisis. And if anybody needs help, do not be afraid to get help in an institution. It wasn't the right thing for me at that moment because what I had was sleep deprivation. And that is why I was slowly losing my mind. And when I got in there, the policy was if you've been 5150, you go to the A ward. That's the most extreme. Like we found you on the street wandering naked with one shoe and a toaster. So they had checks every 15 minutes. Is the other shoe in the toaster? That's the problem. I was toasting my shoe. (laughs) You diagnosed it. I had a bad case of buy shoe toast. I was only toasting one of them. Um, They wake you up. They bed check you. So they so 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 my problem was I just needed to get like a couple nights of sleep, and my brain I think would have would have been fine. Um, And you know you know I I, yes I needed talk therapy and a variety of other things, but. they wake you up every 15 minutes. So is I, I had a friend who's... That baby- doesn't seem like a good thing for somebody who's sleep deprived. Right. But I, once I was in there, it was just like, this is the protocol. Right. Uh, I had a friend whose baby overdosed on children's Tylenol because it's delicious. Mm-hmm. And it was terrible and scary. And they took her to the hospital room. And when, when they gave the discharge papers, it said, if, there's any, if there are any problems or pain, treat with Tylenol. So it was like, here's your Discharge papers that we give everybody. So that that's what happened. Like, oh, you've got sleep deprivation. Wake her up every fifteen minutes to make sure her. You know, that's just what they did to make sure that I 
but maybe I was like on a suicide, a suicide risk. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, it was, it happened so fast. I, I went there because Sharon, my therapist in Tarzana just said, it's time you need sleep, but I know you, I know you, you're not going to want to leave your kid. You're not going to want to miss a day of work. You're not just going to go to a beautiful hotel or spa and just get a day or two of rest. I know you won't do that. I've got a place. Let me just call them up and see if they have a bed and you just have a day or two to get some sleep and rest. So she called around and then she called my husband and he he met um, me at the office and no place had a bed. So she's like, oh, I've got some clients who have been to this the, the ER and I know that doesn't sound good, but if you just go there, uh, they're, they'll <laughs> take care of you. <laughs> so I go there and it was exactly how you'd think an ER would be. Right. Like gunshot patients and it's like this i'm just i'm a tired mom i don't i shouldn't be here at the northridge emergency room or i i, I can't yeah. really exactly remember where i was this is a bit of a blur so we pulled the plug on that after waiting a long time and then i was like d- resisting going to the place where i ended up because it was expensive it was like 800 dollars a night and i just was like i didn't want to spend that i was like i don't this is i'm uh, that's, that's such a big splurge for the, the family to, to shoulder. And, but finally I thought, you know what? It's worth it. I'll go there. And I had seen the place on TV and I thought I'm going to be basket weaving with Janice Dickinson and we'll just relax. <laughs> Do you know the place I'm talking about? It was like, it was, no. it was affiliated with Dr. Drew. Oh, okay. I, he's no longer affiliated with the place. And I think okay. the place has changed its name. So we get there. And they do an intake. Nurse comes out. She's got the scrubs, cartoon scrubs. And I tell her what's going on. And um, you know how some things you can't joke about in certain ways? Mm -hmm. Well, as she was doing her checklist, and it was taking a very long time, she was asking me, you know, what, how I'd been feeling and what had been, what had been going on. And I did mention that I had Googled gun shops. Like where, but mm. what, I was doing that I, not because I had a plan and not because I wanted to shoot myself. It somehow was releasing a pressure valve in my brain. Right. I never had a gun, didn't know how to shoot a gun. I just thought like because, because of the severe sleep deprivation, I just, uh, wasn't, couldn't, um, I, 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 I think, th- I think that is a fairly normal thing when people are in a, a feeling cornered in their life that they want to know I may have to create my own exit. Yes. Just to know it's there. I just wanted to know it's there. I'm not going to use it. Yes. I don't, I've never fired a gun. I don't know how to use a gun, but I just, I, I did Google it and I think I was having gallop. What to you and me would be gallows humor and or to most people of my persuasion, the Jews. <laughs> But it wasn't funny in that. <laughs> what have the Jews ever been through, Teresa? <laughs> so that's what we, that's a survival wow. mechanism. Yeah. So she's like, well, have you, you know, she asked in, in, in the course of asking me the questions that she should have been asking me, I sort of said, how are you feeling? Well, I did Google gun shops, which would be funny to you, yeah. but it wasn't funny in that setting. The interview continues and it goes on and on. Now I'm inside this waiting room with my husband. I'm starving because now I've been up since 4 a.m. I've done the news. I've been to my therapist's office. She sent me to this ER and now I'm at this place in Pasadena. And um, it was nothing like what it was seemed like on TV. It was so beautiful on TV. 
<laughs> but it was almost like a set. Like once I right. got back deep in the bowels of it, uh, it was scary. And I saw fences and big uh, orderlies. And um, she, after about 45 minutes of this intake, I said, I'm sorry, I'm so hungry. So the charge nurse said, oh, okay, I'll, I'm gonna, uh, we have sandwiches. I'll, I'll go get you a sandwich. I turn to my husband and I go, we've got to get the fuck out of here. This is not at all what I, what I need. We've got to go. This is like, looks like a prison. And I knew that this, I did not need this. Right. I needed a napsy. Right. <laughs> um, so she came back in and I stood up to leave. And, and, and so did my husband. And I go, thank you so much for your time. I'm so sorry. I don't think this is the right place for me. And she must have called some sort of code. And at that mm. point, a swarm oh my God. of giant interns came and took me. They took me away. As I was crying and looking at my husband, like I had like a like a sister Helen Prejean where I was like reaching out. Oh my god! Like is I hope the last face I see is a face of love. Oh my god! That's heavy. And then once you're in, do you know how hard it is to explain to people that you're crazy? Because the null hypothesis from inside after they've taken your bra and your shoelaces is obviously you need to be here. Right. And you just don't know what's best for you. Right. Every, it's like prison. Nobody thinks they're guilty in prison. Yes. So I, Everybody's got uh, you know, a reason why they had to rob me. the bank. Right. It was a mistaken identity. Sure. So I tried to tell anybody who would listen, and I've never gotten my shit together faster. Because as I asked a couple questions... I was like, what is this? Well, we keep you for 48 hours or maybe it's 72 hours. It might be 72. And then I go, then what? Then um, we decide if we can release you. And uh, then what? Well, if we decide we can't, then we keep you for two weeks. I, I, I was, I, it was like um, being struck sane. Like, Anything that I was ever worried about, oh, I'm not a good mom, whatever, I can't. Get your shit together, girl, because you have been, your shoelaces have been fucking taken and your bra and uh, you're in here and they could keep you in here two weeks. And in my mind, I thought I could be in here six weeks. I could, like the thought of not seeing my child for 24 hours or the thought of not seeing my child was like, you're just so horrific. And my husband, like, he's just an, a Gentile. He doesn't know to, like, get a lawyer. And, like, looking back, he should have just immediately gotten a lawyer and said, this is actually dangerous. Because for people who need that level of treatment, it's a godsend. Right. And it should be done. And you should be 5150. And it saves lives. And I want to make that very, very clear. Unfortunately, for me, that was not a good place to be. Yes. And, and that's not to say that you didn't have a heap of issues on your plate that also needed to be dealt with, just not in there at that time. Yes, exactly. And I was so scared because I said I wanted to leave and they kept me. And I, I've the, the experience of being a a prisoner really Mm -hmm. involuntarily held. It was the, and when I saw you, it was a couple days later and I've never felt so free and I've never appreciated, like I still can see it to this day, walking up a hill out of that place and just like 
autumn leaves, yeah. sunshine glinting. And I just thought, I just, I'm going to like, I'm going to have sex with my husband every day and I'm just going to sleep and I'm going to figure out how to be the best mom to this child. And I know that my husband and this child, I know everything now. I know that that's all that matters and I'm going to figure it out. And when my husband came, he visited me and it was just like in a movie. Like I was in the yard. There was a basketball hoop with no net. (laughs) There was a guy that thought he was Jesus yeah, there's For a, real. That's, those guys are dimes a dozen. There was four Jesuses on my ward alone. Yeah. How can you all be Jesus? I don't mean to make light of uh, serious mental health but. issues, but he came to visit me, brought me my toothbrush, and he brought me th- this, this book, which was um, The Happiest Toddler on the Block. And I had all night to read that book because I was awake all night being bed-checked. Um, and, and, and everything in that book... I know it sounds stupid because it's not like, you know, Viktor Frankl or some deep philosophical text, but I just, I, I absorbed what was in that book yeah. and but, it you know, really it, helped me. Is it struggle is struggle? You know, it, uh, to me, it doesn't matter where it ranks historically. Struggle is struggle. It's still the same emotions underneath it is fear, you know, uncertainty, insecurity, whatever, whatever they may be. But I'm. Um, Ah, wow, that's such a trip. And I, I no said, idea. I tried to explain to everybody, this has been a mistake. Then I, you get a phone call from my phone booth, and I called Sharon, and, I, and she was horrified, and she felt responsible. And she called them, and she said, this, this, is, this has been my client for many years. This is not the right place for her. She is not a suicide risk. She's, got, she's sleep deprived. She's having a rough time. But this is, you're over-treating her, and it's dangerous. Please release her. We would, but now it's too late because there's there's protocols and procedures and only the psychiatrist can release her. Great. Let me talk to him. Uh, he won't be until tomorrow. So I so I was up all night and I, I had my husband bring me my sanest outfit and I spent the whole night reading that book and planning everything I was going to say to convince this guy to let me out. And he did. To his credit, he did let me out. And he is now dating Sharon <laughs> That's, from Tarzana. Isn't that a beautiful love story? It's so How beautiful. they met? Yes. It's so... From her wow. couch to their couch. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So when I saw you, I knew... Well, I Sharon told me that it wouldn't be a good idea to share this part of the story. But now it's been, what, eight years? Right. And Back then, she told you, in 2011, she said... Yes. Because it was said, so fresh. Yeah, but also, you know, maybe that's going to have an ill effect on your career. Right. How can it get worse now? So fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) I hope there's some... I don't know if this is just interesting or if it's in any way beneficial. It's, it's, You know, uh, I I think it's both. I think it's both. I think any experience that somebody shares about being in there... I. The whole reason I wanted to start this podcast is to document stories, the widest variety, uh, especially people whose voices aren't typically heard, um, to normalize what it what it is that we experience and how we feel, regardless of how seismic the event is historically. 
um, you know, or compares to, to other things. Because when I was at my darkest of dark times, I thought I was the only one. Uh, I had no sense of, you know, the fact that other people might be feeling or thinking the same thing. And that was comforting to me when I did find my people and realize that I wasn't alone. And so I know there will be somebody who will hear this and they will have lived through what you just shared or the, in the future, something is going to happen to them. And so I don't think it ever, it ever hurts to, to share that. And it was interesting to me because I, I had no idea. While I was in there, they had a community room and it had a TV. And I think they were very careful about what would be on the TV. So you didn't want to trigger people. And it was, again, I was on the, the, the elite ward mm-hmm. where it was the Everybody mo- was represented by elite modeling agency. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like really like, uh, if, if they were extras in a movie mm-hmm. about, about a nut house. You would go take it down a notch. Really? You're all doing a little too much. Like grabbing things at the air that weren't there, no teeth, ta- you know, just yeah. very, it was extreme. And, 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 and they just put me there. Again, that wasn't where I belong. I did have a heap of trouble. I really did have right. heaps of trouble. Um, but uh, they, they were, um, there were like violent people and very mm. extremely mentally ill people who needed probably in to, crisis a, a, extreme acute, acute yeah. crisis yeah. which you could make a case that that i was in a, in you a were crisis. In obtuse crisis i was in obtuse crisis so on the tv at that time i was on a commercial for domino's pizza <laughs> <laughs> that's it, it was, me yes of course it is it was airing on the usa network yeah. now how fucked up if you're in there because you're you're paranoid. Because I had a stepbrother who had schizophrenia, and he would always think Marie Osmond was coming to the door, or was chasing him, or was following him. He had delusions about celebrities, which I wasn't at the time, but I was on a Domino's commercial, and there I was. And again, that morning, I had been doing the news on the radio, and uh, then my commercial was came on the uh, TV, right in there. Did any of the orderlies ever come up to you and go, "This just in, you're crazy." They, no, but they said they could cure me in 30 minutes or less. <laughs> oh my God, seeing your face on the TV in the psych ward community room. That is awfulsome. That's, that was so awfulsome. But I was felt, I've never felt more sane because when I sat down, um, like, like maybe that's what let in a certain sense. Now I'm just talking to you. I'm, I'm, I'm processing this as I'm talking to you, but the the most mama bear thing that I had to do was to get out so I could see my baby. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the way to do that was to convince this guy who had everything to lose by letting me out. Because if he let me out and I harm myself or somebody else after he uh, released me off of 5150 and, and, and uh, did a, a do-over or an undo or whatever you'd call that, uh, he would be liable. So he had everything to lose by letting me out and really nothing to gain. So I had to make a case and I sat down with him and I was like, everything I did had to be sane. And they offered me some like medications. No, thank you. I don't want to be on any medications. I don't want you to say that I'm on a medication. I don't want you to have any reason to keep me in here. And when I sat down with him, I would, I, I, I marshaled every bit of 
everything that I had ever learned in my life about how to act normal. And I did that. I had a plaid shirt. I had a denim skirt. I had shoes. My hair was done. I'd perfect. I'd planned my sane outfit. <laughs> I had my husband bring it. And I sat down and I said, I, I you know, I, I do have, I am running into some issues. I'm a new mom. Um, I don't feel that this level of treatment is right for me. I will check in with you tomorrow at your office. I will check in with you however often you need me to, to feel safe that this is the right thing. But I do believe that I would be safer at home with my family. And, you know, there was a, maybe we talked for two hours and then he said, you're free to go. And, um, just, uh, you know, per- perspective. It's just like, I just, maybe it's not perfect. Maybe I'm not perfect. Maybe I'm not a perfect mom. Maybe this is hard. Maybe it's harder than I thought. I can do this. I am going to do this. And right after that, my, my son was in daycare and I had a lot of guilt about it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I did was I just picked a day and every Wednesday I just took him out of daycare. I t- picked, I, I did, I kept mm-hmm. him home and we just did activities and it was hard. Cause he was just a, a, you know, he was a, a spirited kid. And, uh, I, like we took a mommy and me baking, which he hated, but little, you know, mm-hmm. you try. Sure. I take him to the Americana. We'd ride the choo choo train. We'd play, we'd go to Cheesecake Factory. I just leaned into it. It was so hard for me. And I just leaned into it. And right about three and a half, it just became so easy. When he was three and a half. Mm-hmm. So about two years yeah. of doing that. Yep. And uh, he just. Almost he, like muscle memory. It, it, when he could ride his, he got on a bike at three and a half with no training wheels, a regular bike, and he rode it. And as soon as he could do that and he could, he could have an, an autonomous moment and be free, he just was happy. He just got easy. And now he's just, I mean, uh, uh, what's the, there's naches. That's like, that's a Yiddish word, which is like, I'm, the, He's a pride and joy, full-time mm. pride and joy. It was just front-loaded for me. Yeah. What a great, a great way to describe it, front-loaded. Mm-hmm. My second baby wasn't like that at all. They just have different dispositions. He would, and maybe it was I already knew what to expect. I was like, ah, oh, I got this. But he, he wasn't as, um, as spirited. You know, like it, the, the first one, he just, he would, he cried. He was hard to soothe. And when you have that kind of baby, my second one is the one that makes you feel like everyone feels like this baby loves me. I, you know, I, you know, uh, I'm a great mom. And the first one was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Your dues. You paid your dues with your first one. Yes. Yes. And now I have all these fears and loves. I feel like I derailed your whole pod plan. No, not at all. We we got time to do fears and loves. And I liked hearing that story. You did? Yeah. Okay. You can yeah. feel free to delete it. I, I love that you are more insecure than I am. And that is refreshing. <laughs> that is really, really refreshing. I can't, it's I, so nice to not be just the <laughs> the person in the room just feeling like they have no idea where their place is. Is that, do you frequently feel that? Oh my God. All the, all the so... I, I don't in my support groups, but I do um, so many other times, even playing hockey. I will feel like, what's, what's my, am I, am I an advantage to my team? Or am I one of those guys that when, you know, they show us up, you're like, oh, well, we're going to be a little slower tonight. Yeah. I, almost everything in, in my life I will just examine from different angles because I, I'm never really sure where the truth is in in anything. And I want to cover my 
bets. Do you know that you're good at this? I do. I do feel that I feel that I have blind spots at this, but I feel that there are enough parts of it that I'm good at that I should be here and that clearly people listen to it. So Because you're not, very, very good at this. Keep going. <laughs> uh, I've never been able to listen to my episode and for mm. some reasons that now are more clear. But I felt when I was taught, I just, I felt so free because what did it matter if I sounded stupid or boring or basic? Nothing mattered because I was free and, and I could have been in there for six months. And, and it came across. I think that's why it's such an exceptional episode is because you just, you just opened up and it just all poured out. And I think ultimately that's what we want is we want human connection. We want vulnerability. We want we want to lay our cards on the table, but we're afraid to be the first one to do it because we're afraid our hand is embarrassingly bad. I got a pair of twos, <laughs> and I don't want you to see it. I've never had a pair of twos. <laughs> never. I've had a king jack, but That's I've never, never had, had a the pair, pair of, of twos. twos. I listen to your show, and I always think the tone is right. You come in with a joke at the right time. You're respectful. You're empathetic. And I don't think that we could have had that conversation. I could not have had that conversation with anybody else on earth. Well, that's fair. Incredibly flattering and uh, very difficult to uh, take it in. Take that. In. Take it in. Let's go to the fears and the loves. Let's do it. Because uh, that compliment makes me itchy. <laughs> This will be a little hydrocortisone for your soul. Uh, let's let's do uh, let's start off with fears, and then we'll do oh, loves. Good, because this yes. is right on theme. Yeah. I'm afraid of being back on this show. When somebody really likes me, I think the best thing to do is never see that person again. When someone believes in me or thinks I'm talented or goes out on a limb to support me, I'm terrified of losing that love. So whenever possible, I make a clean break. You would be a great gambler in Vegas because you would quit while you're ahead. Yes, exactly. And you and you did. I tried to get you back on the show like a year after you were on, and you were so I resistant. You. I was I like, you. I was like, wow, I must have done something to to really turn her stomach. But uh, then you you told me no. I feel like it has nowhere to go but down. And I was like, oh, that's why we get it. And I'm proving that I was right. No, you are not. You are not. My fear is that journalism will never get better, only worse. Yeah. I how's fear that, that too. That, uh, for heavy and uh, shitty and bleak? Give me a fear. I don't, I don't even want to think about that one for too much longer. I'm afraid people will get Teresa Strasser and her bullshit issues fatigue. We get it. You were chubby. You binge ate your way through your 20s. You had an evil stepmother and a tuned out, benignly neglectful mother. Your brother died of cancer. Your dad lives in a trailer park. You're so insecure about yourself. Blah, 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 blah. There are real problems in the world. <laughs> that was like a professionally mean voice in your head. <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's got the does. goods to turn pro. Thank you. That's. I think if I keep working on it, 10,000 hours, I've got, I've got so much more than well, that. Do you remember what you said when we were doing Fears and Loves? And you were just tearing it up and you said, I am the Usain Bolt of fears. <laughs> yeah. And that yes. was my 100-yard dash. Yes. Uh, I am afraid. I, I try not to get uh, political on the show, but 
this is a fear of mine that's recurring. My fear is that Fox News will never decrease in popularity and working class people will keep getting manipulated by the 1% and the world will eventually be like Mad Max. That's horrific. Yeah. I'm scared, speaking of journalism not being the same, that I've gotten lucky so far as a writer, but when it comes down to it, I'm only 30% as talented as I need to be to truly connect. I'm only 30%. 30%. You know, I started as a, as a writer. It was, in, you know, back when there was journalism. Mm-hmm. It's like tweets, but you held it in your hand. And, and it was more than 141 characters. Yes. Yeah, so now it can be longer. But yeah, I, when, I, when I take a look inside, I think uh, I'm only about 30% as good as I need to be as a writer. But I, eh, maybe 40. I, as long as I sit here, it's going to go up 10%. <laughs> You have the best title of a book, uh, Exploiting My Baby, as the name of her. Oh, thank you. Have yeah, you, you pregnancy have, memoir. have a, a book uh, since that one, or was that the last one? No, I'm thinking about thinking mm-hmm. about it, thinking yeah. about a humorous grief book, because yes. what's not funny about uh, people dying? And you're dying. a better writer than you give yourself credit thank for. Thank you. So. Uh, I'm afraid that I'll need surgery on my hip from uh, playing hockey and... I will get so incredibly fat and depressed <laughs> that I will never play it again, and I'll just be like that mom from Gilbert Grape. <laughs> I'm afraid that I will not be able to tolerate the anxieties that go with parenting. If I have to watch my kid pitching from a comfortable distance behind the snack bar and through my fingers, how will I survive the rest of it? You're afraid watching your kid pitch? Oh, it's horrific. Oh, because it's you're horrific. afraid he's going to get a line drive right in the face? No. No. Just, I'm just afraid he's going to start walking kids. Yeah. You know, it's going to can't find the strike zone. Mm. I'm like, uh, they even have a name, PMS, pitcher mom syndrome. That you're just, you're, you are taking on all of his emotions. That, I just want him to do well because right. how much he loves it. But for him... For not, him. Not for you. To, yeah, not for it to reflect on me, though gotcha. it does reflect on me. <laughs> I bet you that that is something a lot of parents feel but would never admit. I wish I could talk about that with more people because it's a very difficult thing to admit. Because it's such... Because there are real problems in the world. But I literally, this year, um, my my son made, made the All-Star team, which was amazing. But there was a lot more baseball. And then they won their district and they went to the States. And, and the... You know, but again, they're 10 year old. He was, he was younger. He's a year mm-hmm. younger. He, you know, was the youngest. And, um, they, yes, he did. He, when he was pitching at States, I had to go. They didn't, they didn't have a snack bar like the regular places we had to drive to, you know, out of our area. But there was like a big bathroom building and I had to be back there mm-hmm. and then have my husband text me how it was going. I actually couldn't. I Watch. think that's pretty normal because you'll see when they cut to the stands sometimes mm-hmm. at, at professional events, the parents will or the spouse will have to look away because it's too much. I mean, but that's I, at the Olympics. <laughs> like, I can't. This is just a state little league. I, 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 I just your kid. I, oh, this it's your stomach kid. ache. The whole. Yes. yes, it's my it's my kid. And I just I want him to have a good, good moment. But yes. I know I tell myself. Yes, but you learn from failing. You learn from walking kids. You learn from hitting kids. And then you tell the kid, you must be learning a lot. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I'm afraid that the people I've hurt in my lifetime haven't forgiven me or moved on, and they're secretly trying to fuck up my life. 
are they doing this on social media? Or are they I doing this? What sort vague, of strings are they pulling? It's a vague. Like, are they Illuminati? What are they doing? It's just a vague feeling, you it's know? A feeling. Just a vague feeling. Like, like I've put bad karma mm-hmm. out there and just the nature of karma is because sometimes I'll think of somebody that fucked me over and uh, there's nobody that where I'm like biting my nails like oh god if I ever see that person again but I I think to myself well there's a lot of people that hold on to grudges or I I people I know personally will hold on to the smallest grudges and They'll do something to get back at somebody, and that person never has any idea that that person was the one that did something shitty, you know, left an anonymous phone call or something like that. Yes. And and I just think, God, there's a lot of vindictive people out there. And what if you fuck somebody over? Yeah. And they're going to post a negative review of your show or in some other way hurt you. And I would like to say, if you do have a grudge against Paul... I think he'll be very open to hearing about it. He's a reasonable person, and uh, you should cut. You should let him know so that he can make it right. What she said. Oh, what's your geez. next fear? Oh, okay. I'm terrified of something something happening to one of my boys. That I'm I'm so terrified of it that I'm honestly afraid of even putting it on this list because it's an anxiety so physically and spiritually paralyzing that I don't understand how the world is full of parents just living their lives as if at any moment some bad shit can't go down. How can you say that you are not a good writer? That that is a beautiful beautiful flow right there. Thank you. Uh, this one is really trite and vindictive but I'm afraid that we will never get to see the worst spammers suffer publicly. (gasps) Wouldn't that be a catharsis to have like, eh, not feed them to the lions, but some version of that? Yeah. The the annoying people that fuck with our lives. Right. The spammers, the people that steal the, you know, your identity. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll never pay. But if you believe in karma and you do, then they're going to. You just might not be around to see it. Do you want to hear about my fears of aging? Yes. I'm afraid that I can't Oprah the aging process. I don't feel empowered and wise. I just feel that my neck doesn't look good and my knees have wrinkles and my left tear duct looks looks (laughs) sunken. (laughs) I have to facetune in every picture right here. Why is this sunken on one side? It's not symmetrical. I've been looking at your face for a half hour and I did not notice it. Thank you. Yeah. I am afraid... We're getting to, to, to the dark ones now. Oh, good. Um, I'm afraid that life will become so grim that suicide will be the best option. Sorry. Oh, for fuck's sake. Sorry. How am I going to bounce back from that? <laughs> Sorry. Give me your next few. I'm hearing the MASH theme song in my head right now. They say it's suicide That's is painless. painless. Yes. I'm going to argue it's pa- very painful for everybody. Yes. For everybody. This is a fear. These are not plans. These, These are, are fears. fears. I'm just a little sensitive because some people came and took me and butterfly netted me for saying a similar thing. Sometimes you just have to air the fears and it's a yes. way of processing the dark feelings and it's healthy and good. And right. sometimes it is a cry for help. Yes. Okay. And, and this is not me saying that my life is bad now. And if it continues this way, that's this is like that life will get right. grim. That global warming will get you know, et cetera, et cetera, and everything. All the all the fears that I have right now, if they, if they perfect storm their yes, way. Yes, end stage capitalism, global warming. Exactly. 
Exactly. Uh, kids in cages. Yes. I'm afraid that I don't know how to be a good self-starter. Thus, my baby podcast will be lost in a sea of hundreds of thousands of podcasts, and I will have wasted my family's resources trying to do something I have no real knack for doing. Did I mention when, I have a new podcast? You didn't. When did it, when did it start? <laughs> I think we're on episode 20. It's with Gina Grad, who you know from The Adam Carolla Show. Awesome. And she was a great guest on, on this pod It's called as well. Easy Listening. And Easy Listening with Gina Grad and Teresa Strasser, and it's a podcast about podcasts. We play clips, and we talk about what we're listening to and why we love it. And That's a great idea. I'm, I'm shocked that somebody hasn't I was, too. Because the, the, the biggest problem is there's so many podcasts. There's 700,000. Yeah, you feel like, I want the best of the best. Yes, and so we, we pull clips, and every week we talk about either something that's just stuck with us over years or mm -hmm. something that's new that's just been released and um yeah so it's it's pod soup but we couldn't use that name for legal reasons but that's but that's essentially what it is it gives you the idea but it's right. easy listening that's so funny because just today i i was listening to greg kinnear on uh Marin, i heard that too and i and i thought why hasn't somebody done pod soup yet that's what we're doing and i was wondering oh i wonder if that's legally available that's so weird isn't that weird that's yeah, so weird um and what's the name of it again easy listening easy listening We'll put the links to all that stuff uh, on the show notes for this. I'm afraid that I will be stricken by some disease that renders me totally dependent on people's help and it will never be enough and I will live the rest of my days resentful, suffering, and sad and that my primary emotion every day will be a feeling of abandonment. Do you want me to come over and wipe your butt? Because <laughs> I'd do that for you. Would you? Yeah. Well, uh, I know that my, my girlfriend would, uh, would do that. Would I mean, no disrespect. Anybody, would spare anybody uh, else. I know that she loves me that much. That's got to be a good feeling. It is a good feeling. I'm afraid that I've passed, I somehow passed on my achievement addiction to my kids and that they also won't know how to be happy or feel worthy of love without continually winning trophies and awards. <laughs> it, it, Welcome it, to the Jews, Paul. <laughs> Welcome to the Jews. You want to survive? You better be good at some shit. Achieve. No second place for you. Achieve. Achieve. Win, 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 mm -hmm. win, win. Book the next job. Win the next award. And everybody's got to know about it. It's got to be something that, um, you, you know, your grandma Esther can brag about at Bridge. Isn't that, it's, it's, that's what it's really all about is you're feeding grandma Esther's bridge game. Well, in my case, uh, since we are in the mental illness, happy hour um i think what happened with me is my when my parents got divorced there was just there was chaos my mom had two jobs my dad was fixing cars six days a week and uh you know they they weren't necessarily cut out to, to be d doing the best job of parenting sure. and there was just a lot going on and my mom was pretty distracted and busy so for me to get her attention i remember I had a report card that was A plus, A plus, A plus, A plus plus, A plus plus plus. And I would just come home after ballet class and I would come home and open the encyclopedia and just start writing reports about whatever because it took so much to get anyone's attention and it made them happy. It made her mm -hmm. happy. Like if I could win the spelling bee right. or if I could get a part in the play. And I just felt like there's no 
And I still, you can't talk me out of it now because I make my husband talk me out of it. But it doesn't work. I go, if I was a dishwasher and if I never did anything ever anymore, because a lot of days I think like the best is behind me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not going to be able to achieve many things. Uh, Like, and he, cause he's, he doesn't understand. He can't even answer the question because it's so out of the realm of his understanding that I would think that. But it's such mm-hmm. a deeply held belief that I didn't even know I believed it until this year. Right. I just thought I've got to keep achieving things. That's your normal. That's no, yes, of course. Yes. This is how people, this is why people love me for being mm-hmm. good at things. Right. And it, and it's a shock when you find out that love can actually be something else. That it can be totally, unattached to achievement. I still don't even really get it because if you're like, I just love you for you, but what is that? Isn't me the thing that is good at, is tries hard and does well? Right. How can you separate the dancer from the dance? I wasn't good at ballet though and didn't win any awards or trophies. Well, that's why your mom never really loved you. Exactly. Let's do, give me one more fear and then let's do some love. Oh God, I've got, how do I pick? I've got, uh, I've got, Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've got two more. All right. Give me um, Okay. This is, this is pretty girly. I might, it might be too letting you into the world of the okay. uh, female reproductive situation. I'm, sorry. I'm afraid of the day I stopped. <laughs> can't even get this one out. I'm afraid of the day I stopped getting my period. I never thought I would be so excited every time I need a tampon. I don't want to not get my period anymore. And I know that's going to be isn't happening. It, isn't it kind of bittersweet, though, that you won't? Yes. I thought I'd be thrilled because it's so it's been so, you know, you get cramps and you right. bleed and you ruin your underwear. And like I've bled on chairs here, there and everywhere and been embarrassed and had to cover it up and ruin clothes. And uh, you're always trying to get a tampon and then you have to get to the bathroom with your tampon. You have to slip it in your uh, sleeve. You got to do all kinds of things. I never thought I would feel so attached to my ability to reproduce because how like it just it feels whatever there's no word for emasculating that's effeminizing mm. but defeminizing yeah but i just i'm gonna be sad i'm not yeah. gonna have another kid i wanted to have a third kid if you can believe that after all you know um but i i i just i i love being a mom to these kids and I mm. love these kids and I just think oh, I'd be so curious what would that third one be like and I know I'm not going to do that right. because I'm a million years old and, and my husband's been snipped but somewhere in my lizard brain I just like the feeling that if I wanted to I could conceive a baby I could carry it and I could push that baby out and be its mom that makes sense that makes sense and it's associated with being young like when you're on the other side that's why i want to oprah this like i want to come to Mm -hmm. a place where i feel wise yeah and our society doesn't do a great job of reminding people that women are still fuckable post-menopause do you want to is that going to be a personal mission for you because some (laughs) of them are right or yeah yeah. it's it it you know when i was a younger person i never found you know postmenopausal women attractive but that's just because of the age difference but as i've aged i find women you know attractive moving with me in age and but you don't see that reflected in media a whole lot you don't you don't see the sexuality of women you barely see it with 
with men, but you don't see it at all with with women post forty five. You know, for for a woman to be, um, I don't know, outwardly sexual post forty five, post fifty, it's usually a punchline. I think this is why J Lo, for example, because she's my age, mm-hmm. and I think she she is seen as. A, a sex object, right? Is mm-hmm. like she's an icon of beauty in our culture. Gwen Stefani. There are a bunch of women that really do have a sexy vibe mm-hmm. uh, at you know into their into their late forties. I would argue though that they are privileged in that they can spend so much time and money on creating an artifice that's photogenic and still caters. To that idea, you know, I, I would like to see, you know, a, a woman without makeup wearing jeans and a t-shirt in the grocery store. That being portrayed as sexy, because I I do see that I am attracted to that. I'm actually turned off by a lot of makeup and it looks like somebody was in front of a mirror for two hours. That is actually a turn off. Um, so maybe maybe that's just me. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, Mr. White Knight of, oh, let's give the, you know, the ladies their due. <laughs> it, it's because um, deep down, there's still parts of me that are, you know, piggish and, and vain and et cetera, et cetera. But um, it's. We got a long we got a long way to go in terms of how we deal with people aging and their and their sexuality. And I'm I, sure that's no news to anybody who is older. And, you know, it's it's something that I know is around the corner. So it's and it's a transit transition that lots of women make. I just for me personally, there's some shame around it. Like I recently had a uh, put yourself on tape for this job and the breakdown said 20 to 35. And I didn't even think about it because in my mind, I'm 32. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever have that. And I, I forwarded the email to somebody like, oh, do you think this, you know, these jokes I wrote are appropriate for this job? And they go, yeah, that, but you're not going to get this job. It says 20 to 35. And I was like, but don't, couldn't I pass? Or, and then that's when it was very jarring. Like, no. Yeah, because nobody taps you on the shoulder and, and goes, tells you that. We find out we're retired from an age from an <laughs> yes. age bracket. I was yes. at, I had a meeting uh, with some producers. I don't know. It was maybe fifteen years ago. I was I was probably in my late thirties, and I was still thinking of myself as the guy in his mid twenties. Right. And and I said, oh yeah, and you know maybe this guy he gets a job in the office, and you know the the uh, the older women are uh, you know trying to rob the cradle or you know whatever you want to say. And one of them kind of went, but you're like thirty eight, and and I had forgotten that I was thirty eight, and it was so embarrassing. This is it exactly was so embarrassing. What happened. Yes. Yeah, it made me sick to my stomach. Yeah, I still feel sick yeah. about it. And it's going to be okay because the alternative is not being here. And I have a rich, full life. And I have picked up some wisdom. And maybe I'm better at some things. Uh, maybe I can add value in, in some ways that I couldn't have before. But I do think 
I, I, there probably are some rituals, but you know, like there's a bar mitzvah mm-hmm. where you're like, now I'm, now I'm a man or now I'm a woman. Right. And there's like rites of pat, there's rituals. We don't and have those for We don't for have aging. those no. or because for when people for, come home from war either. Yeah, that would be amazing right there where there would be. We're just like, okay, reintegrate. Reintegrate as opposed to like, you're going to this special, beautiful place and there's going to be a group of other veterans that just got home and there's going to be a staff and you're going to mm-hmm. talk through things and you're going to, you know, have some time mm-hmm. to uh, de- decompress. And yeah, right. That would be brilliant. Why don't you, you should found that? So what I'm saying is, is that getting old is war. That's what I'm trying to say. You've compared it and I need a bar mitzvah for in a few years from now because I'm going to miss having to buy tampons. (laughs) And it might be sooner. I just don't know. I don't know. You don't know when it's your last period. Uh, I interviewed Catherine Hahn years ago and she had crayon. Uh, Her kids took crayon all over their, her white couch. And she said, I I was like, oh, that's really cool. She goes, well, actually the idea came because I bled on it. And then I thought, what the fuck? (laughs) Let's get the kids crayons. And now she left it there. Yeah. And it's a, it's a reminder. Yes. She is a, a very, very nice person. And fertile. She's got a lot of kids. Well, no, but she's bleeding at least, but that's not all it takes, but. Let's do some loves. You want to? Yeah. I love when I fall asleep with my dog and uh, our noses are touching and I can feel the warmth of her breath. Oh, it's so cozy. I love when my youngest has been out swimming for a couple hours and despite the copious and diligent application of SPF 50, there's a smattering of tiny new freckles across his nose. I could stare at those freckles forever. God is in those freckles. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful. You made skin cancer delightful. (laughs) Uh, I love when I mill uh, lumber. That That's when you send it through different machines so you make it square, you know, because when you get boards, they're usually kind of warped and twisted. But to build things, you need everything to be kind of square and 90-degree angles. I love when I mill lumber, and then I look at the pile of wood that I've just squared up, and not only am I proud that I know how to do it and feel lucky that I have the tools to do it and the time, but that it's now all available for whatever project I want to use it for. That to me is like just, it's like a, like butterflies in my stomach of exciting. Like I have all this ready to go, ready to, be to made, go, to be whatever, turned into something beautiful. Whatever I imagine. I love the memory. I'm sorry, it's going to get, let's get a little baseball heavy because there's just been a lot of that this summer. I love the memory of my older son striking out the third batter in a playoff game. I can still see him in my mind's eye on the mound, trying to be cool, but also slightly pumping his fist before trotting back to the dugout. I could live in that moment forever. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. I pitched when I was his age too, and it's, it's an intense feeling when you do well when you're pitching, which I did not always do. But the only moment that I ever saw my dad express joy was when I uh, pitched and we beat an undefeated team. And he came leaping out of the dugout so excitedly I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed for him, but it was also nice because I'd never seen my dad express joy. And uh, that probably fucked my head up in terms of like winning and needing and to pitching. achieve. Yes. To, to be, to to be, be loved. loved. Yes. Sure. Because but, that was the happiest you ever saw him. Yeah. Were you just feeling it that day on the mound? Like you just had your stuff? What happened? I, I was not uh, 
my fastball had an arc. Like that's how slow of a pitcher I was, but I was able to get it where it needed to go. Yes. And I think you just let enough kids fuck up on their own. Mm-hmm. You're going to do okay. You're just, yep. if you can find somebody that just doesn't throw a lot of balls. Just get in the strike zone. Uh, that was pretty much, that was pretty much it. But yeah, kids would make fun of how slow of a pitcher I was. Till they struck out. <laughs> and then your dad leapt. He actually <laughs> levitated. He was so happy. Finally, Paul's done something to make me proud. He was like a like a uh, like a leprechaun with a backache. His little leap coming out of the <laughs> dugout. It was so like off balance, and yeah, it, it it was endearing. It was endearing. Um, I love lying in my hammock with Gracie, my dog, on my stomach, and just enjoying the quiet of nighttime that's a beautiful peaceful moment do you this is my last baseball one and i promise you that i love when a little league pitcher is struggling on the mound and the catcher flips up his mask and approaches the mound and puts his hand on the pitcher's shoulder then the shortstop and first baseman come in to surround the pitcher in a secret boy world of baseball brotherhood that that is I love it when Sweet. I'm watching the majors do that too. I yes. love when they have that, like something's, he's lost his stuff and he just needs mm-hmm. a restart and everyone comes out there. Yeah. I don't know what they're saying, but they got, they put their arm on over mm-hmm. shoulder and, and with kids, uh, you know, you can see them like breathe, trying to get their breathing, they're messing mm-hmm. with their hat. They're just like trying to gather themselves mm-hmm. and then all the, cause it's, it's, it's a, it's a secret brotherhood that I can't, I've never been part of. I have been part of those, and it, it's great because you. There's no question that you are a part of it because physically, right there, it's, it's also a, it's, a, it's a group, and they're walking to towards come help you. you. And it to me, when I look at it, this is the antithesis of of what we might call toxic masculinity right. here, yeah. because. Like, hey, I see that you're struggling up there. I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to give you some supportive words and I'm actually going to physically put my hand on your back and uh, this is going to be okay. You got this. That's what we should do when we see people just out in the day, somebody angry on a train or something. Just like we should, just a group of people just kind of get around Call and put a, a hand out. on their shoulder, time out. Hey, buddy, what's going on, man? And then everybody just comes in. Out. Yeah. It's like, you got this, okay? Yeah. Just take a breath. Yeah, here's my number. You know, <laughs> yes. you need to talk to somebody. Can a you, meeting a on the mound. Yeah. What's, what's, you know, what's, what's bothering you? What's oh man, I've felt that before. That, that, that does suck. That's, uh, of yeah. Of course you're stressed out. I've been, yeah, I've been now up get here. get fucking back you in there. Got, yes. We got this. Well, let's do this. And I like that too, because there's no time for it to really be indulgent. Right. Because you got to go back and you do have to finish the inning. Yeah. So much sports talk today. So much sports talk. I love when my girlfriend and I help each other through something emotional and then I feel even closer to her than before. That is like one of my favorite feelings. You must be so good at that. I think I am good at it. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's really hard for me to say that. Yeah. But I really, um, it's it's taken a lot of work for me to get here, but I feel like I am a pretty present and connected boyfriend for the for the most part i'm surprised to hear that you would doubt that because you're like an empath's empath okay you want me to put it in pitching terms you're the sandy koufax of feeling (laughs) you're right (laughs) 
slinging the heat. It's getting right in the strike zone. You know how people feel. You reflect it back to them. You're sensitive and you're present. Why would this be a surprise to you? It's the Irish. Irish Why are you Catholic sweating? Thing. You're yes, doing something. It's the it's Irish happening. Catholic. You put a compliment on an Irish Catholic, and they will sweat. <laughs> this is the Jews are not much different. <laughs> we schwitz. Yes, and then I'm schwitzing. Um, yours. I love when I'm nervous about a performance or audition of some kind, and my husband, incredulous, puts his hand on my shoulders and says, "You're Teresa fucking Strasser." Oh, like that's a good thing. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. He sounds like a great guy. He is. He's Irish Catholic and a little bit Polish. I love when my girlfriend comes to watch me play hockey and I look up and she's in the stands wearing my hoodie. And and I just feel like, wow, she's not bullshitting me. She is in. She's in. She's watching hockey. With my sweatshirt. In your hoodie. That just gave me a boner. Yeah. Yes. She's there for you, watching you do a thing that you're good at doing, wearing your hoodie. Yeah. Man. And, and then how she talks to me points. afterwards, she's like, you know, telling me nice things about Ah, uh, Okay. Well, we're yes. going from baseball to hockey to basketball. And I swear this is my last sports related. <laughs> I don't mind sports ones. Because uh, this, this is what my kids are passionate about right now. I love when I call my dad in the middle of the day to recount some stupid thing that happened in one of my kids' basketball games the day before. And we parse it like it was the NBA finals. And I know my dad has pulled his bike over to the side of the road just to talk to me for as long as I want. And I know that we are talking about nothing, but also about everything. And in those moments, I know that I am loved. Wow, I almost don't don't want to do one after that because that 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 was so beautiful. That was so beautiful. Do you want a palate cleanser? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my shitty next one. I love turning off the critical comic voice in my head and just laughing at silly dog videos on YouTube. And I just laugh. I just laugh. What and are the laugh dogs doing? Laugh. You know, maybe they're just walking on their front legs or, you know, one of them's got a diaper on and is walking sure. funny or it's sliding down the stairs mm-hmm. or it's just running around like an I idiot. I don't need to be witty. I yeah. don't need to be clever. It's just I can ex- just enjoy this. Yes. They're just their their excitement at life just reminds me that that there is still innocence in the world. And what's more innocent than a baby or a puppy something just super super excited to be alive and isn't even self-conscious about the fact that it's super excited um actually you do one more and then i'll do and then i'll do my last one okay so should this be my ultimate should i pick my ult my last one no i'll do this one and then you close okay i'm putting the heat on you wow okay Uh, I love that if I were to die tomorrow, I would be able to say that I know what love feels like, that I took chances. And while I made mistakes, I also got to do and see and experience some really cool shit on this planet that I feel a lot of meaning and purpose in my life. And some of it actually because of my struggles, which makes them less shitty. That was beautiful. And speaking of Viktor Frankl, I mean, man's search for meaning. Amazing book. You're finding it. I've found it. I love when I hear the song I Can See Clearly Now in a store or hotel lobby or elevator because my mom loved that song 
I played it for her from my iPhone in the hospital when she was unconscious and very much dying. I don't believe in this kind of shit, but when I hear that song, I like to think she's talking to me. She's saying, look all around, it's nothing but blue skies. I love that song too, by the way. Love that song. Funny story. The reason she loved that song is because it was her song of celebration when she and my dad got divorced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it's kind of a diss to him, but she was yeah. so happy yeah. being rid of my dad. <laughs> she would blast the song. Like she could see clearly now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I had forgotten how much she loved that song. And when my mom, when I was in her room, she was already unconscious on the morphine and stuff. And they say the hearing's the last thing to go. I, mm. I called my husband and I'm like, I want to play her a song, but I'm like, I suddenly I can't, for the life of me I can't. And he goes, "Oh, she always liked I can see clearly now." So I, so I Johnny played. Rivers, right? Johnny Nash. Johnny Nash. Yeah. that's right. Johnny Nash. I think it's probably been covered. And Jimmy Cliff does a great yes. version of it too. That's a beautiful version. Yeah. yeah. T, can I call you T? Please. I know everybody does. Thank you so much for coming back on. Um, it's just always great connecting, talking your kindred spirit and um we'll put all the links to your your stuff online and uh you fucking rock thank you so much for having me and for everything you do to make your guests comfortable love talking to her she's so good at the fears and love so detailed i love when people make them really detailed one of our sponsors today is the game Best Fiends. If you have never tried it, uh, I recommend you try it. It's fun. It's a great... I love playing it like I'm waiting for my food to arrive or I'm in line for coffee, something like that. It's a fun, casual game. Um, if, you've, if you've never tried it, uh, you can download it for free. Tons of people have downloaded, over 100 million downloads. Uh, I struggled at first leveling up on it and i kept getting stuck around level 10 the the, the gist of it is it's it's kind of a puzzle game kind of a visual puzzle game and it's the bugs are the good guys and the slugs are the bad guys and you can purchase level ups if you want but i like to go old school and earn them and so i to to get enough stuff to level up i just went back a couple of levels and built up the stuff that I could then use to spend a level up. And it felt, felt like I earned it. So if you want to check it out, go check it out. Uh, engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. With over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's Fiends without the R. Best Fiends. This is an email that I got from a guy named uh, John Brown William, and he writes, Good day. I'm sorry for using this minute of your time to introduce myself to you. I am Honorable J.O.B. William, the senior advocate and also a personal attorney to your late uncle who was unable to finish his will before his untimely death. I was shocked to get this because my mom was an only child and my dad only had sisters. So I was like, who is this uncle? Well, I did. I hired about five private detectives because I wanted an answer quickly. And I found out that my grandpa 
had a secret family. Actually, he had 17 secret families. And he passed. Uh, his death was untimely. He overdosed on vagina and frequent flyer miles. And I found out that his, his, uh, my uncle's death was not untimely. It was actually perfectly timed, which is rare. Uh, continuing, the Honorable uh, says, He died of cancer of the pancreas several years ago. I was giving an opportunity to look for his relation according to our country constitution. Uh for those of you that don't know, my family is mentioned in the Constitution. It's in the lower part. A lot of people are like, give up on the Constitution about halfway through because it does get pretty boring. But at the bottom of it, it says, hyphen, accept the Gilmartins, and then they take away all our rights. Um, so according to our country Constitution, so this is how I came across you. And um, we have been in touch, and the Honorable and I have really, we have hit it off. Normally, I don't like uh, quasi-judges, but there's something about him that I just dig. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself, I'm so indecisive, I can't even think of a clever nickname. He identifies as straight. He's in his 20s. He was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happens, but I don't know if it counts. When I was a kid, I experimented with my best friend. Sometimes I felt pressured, and there were a couple of occasions that flash back to memory nowadays that make my skin crawl a bit because of my understanding now. I don't hold him accountable, but I also wouldn't know what to do if some of those things were ever found out about me. It sounds like you're carrying shame uh, about it, which is understandable. That's how most of us, you know, look back on stuff that made us uncomfortable or where boundaries were crossed either by us or by somebody else towards us. Um, and that, man, shame is such a, such a corrosive thing to, to hold down inside of us. I think it would really help you to open up to somebody safe, like a therapist or a support group. Uh, he's been emotionally abused. I was never an outstanding student in school, but my dad would lay into me about it pretty badly. My freshman year of high school, he yelled at me because I was unfocused after a girlfriend broke up with me. He made me cry, and I felt humiliated. That was one of the worst incidents, but he frequently screamed at me, and I would break down on a regular basis. Any positive experiences with the abusers? I have a fine relationship with my dad now, and it wasn't all bad. While I don't know if he really understands what he did wrong, I've learned to stand up for myself and let him know if he is out of line. Good for you, man. That is so awesome that you can advocate for yourself. Darkest thoughts. During some of my more dark days in high school, I used to think about going out to the main road and walking in front of a car. Now, it's not so much harming myself, but others. Sometimes when I get angry or I feel like I'm being put on blast, I want to beat the person yelling at me to a pulp. Darkest secrets. I once had serious thoughts about cheating on my current girlfriend of four years because there was a period of time where I didn't feel like she really respected me. Things are great between us now, but back then she never complimented me much and didn't show me much affection past sex. 
Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. One fantasy I had is that I always wanted to seduce the mother of someone I'm no longer friends with. This is manifested into a general fantasy to be an older woman's plaything, someone to be dominated a bit and used for sex. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Long story short, I once lent some money to a friend and he didn't pay me back for almost a year, even though we frequently had opportunities to. Uh, and then in parentheses, and couldn't keep or find a job. After I got my money back and got him out of my life, a group of dear friends chose to bring him back in because he had gone religious again for the fifth time I had known him, I might add. I wish I could tell him that despite how much they meant well, they knew who he was, and now I know who they really are. What, if anything, do you wish for? Sometimes I wish I could leave my entire life behind and start fresh, where no one knows me. You know... To me, that's such a common fantasy when we're feeling cornered in our lives and it's it's such black and white thinking because the real answer usually is to just set boundaries with people and cut toxic people out of our lives. And that is having a fresh start, but we don't need to move. And the growth of standing up for ourselves is really worth it. Because if we just cut and leave, we don't get to have the experience and the growth of having difficult conversations with people. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared this. I forgot to close the door. Gracie's outside bossing the, bossing the neighborhood around. I got to go get her. Oh, I think she stopped. <laughs> of course. Hold on. All right. Uh, Have you shared these things with others? I've shared this with a friend once, and he just said, well, that's not going to fix your problems. (laughs) He sounds like a terrific friend. Uh, I wanted to tell him that that was the point, but it was just easy to fantasize about how I'd never see him again. How do you feel after writing these things down? I don't know, really. You'd think that as an aspiring writer, I'd feel better. If anything, I'm just reminded of how much I wish I could change. Then I'm reminded of how I wouldn't have anything that I love in my life if I changed something in my past. Then I remember that it isn't so bad. I love this. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? (laughs) Life is one long car ride with a full bladder. Every bump in the road is going to make you want to piss yourself. Take a deep breath and pop on some music. Don't look at the mile markers. It's so fantastic. Thank you for that. I love a good analogy. This is from the love survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Autumn Rose. She writes, I love showing my boobs to my cat for no reason. Is that fucked up? Don't care. Not stopping. (laughs) Any comments to make the podcast better? Maybe a cat butthole story for cat people. You know, I don't have one offhand, but I have to say my girlfriend's cat, Pablo, uh, does like showing his butthole and his balls. He has a very, very prominent set of outwardly displayed balls and sometimes it's hard to know does he want me to look at the butthole or the balls or the whole package 
This is from the love survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Football Rhymes with Football. I love coming to work and actually focusing on work, not women from my past, women in my future, not stressing about if I left the toaster oven on at home, not answering 15 irrelevant texts from someone who ought to know better, just work, then maybe ice cream. You gotta always keep ice cream as, a, as an option. This is uh, from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a non-binary what they write, um, you know, what gender are you? Non-binary, but woman adjacent, meaning I align more with a female lived experience, but don't identify as a woman. Please use they slash them pronouns. Um, they call themselves June Rat. And let's see. They identify as gay. I am a gender non-conforming lesbian. Uh, they're 19. They were raised in a totally chaotic environment, shuffled between different foster homes, my mentally ill and alcoholic mother's house, and my emotionally abusive grandmother's house. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. In the wake of a relationship that had lasted almost three years, I began sleeping around with people I had barely met and barely liked, or explicitly didn't, including men. These were almost all experiences in which I felt apathetic, uncomfortable, or even numb and mildly disturbed during the act and extremely disturbed afterwards. I was identifying as bisexual at the time and I knew this guy who was clearly in love with me but whom I was extremely not attracted. But I gave him a chance anyway. We had a date and reluctantly sex afterwards. I never said no explicitly but my body language and lack of engagement should have screamed it. I am disturbed that men are brought up in our culture to proceed with sexual advances even when their partner seems ambivalent and to be forceful and assuming. Every time I think about this experience, it is distressing and makes me want to die, to be honest. More complicated yet, this man has wedged himself firmly into my life. He became friends with my best friend and now we all communicate almost exclusively as a group and it gets better. This December slash January... Uh, this was filled out a while ago. I will be staying with him and his roommates, all men, for a month because he offered me a place to stay and I have nowhere else to go back to. On one level, we are friends, but on another level, that is impossible to shake. His mere existence and everything he does distresses me and angers me. I really thought about this this uh, section for a while and... I don't know if this is the case with you at all, because this can be the case with people sometimes, is that we can stand up for ourselves with people, but there's a certain payoff that we get from entering into situations where we feel resentful towards people. I'm not talking about the sexual stuff. I'm talking about the you staying with him. Um and to ask yourself, did I really search every other option for a place to stay? Because for a lot of us, and I've experienced this too, there's an identity to feeling victimized that, that can be easy to cling to and, and hold on to. Um, but I think to really be of service to ourselves, 
we need to ask ourselves, am I doing everything in my power to get out of this toxic situation? And I'm not saying that is the case with you, but just some food for thought. They have been emotionally abused. Uh, They write, After my mom committed suicide when I was 11, my grandma took over the household. My mom had written in her suicide note, which I found several years later, that she hoped I would live with her brother instead of grandma because she knew what it was like. My grandma is a hoarder. More than sentimentally keeping items, she is addicted to shopping and obsessed with making, quote, progress around the house, which really means finding ridiculous ways to consolidate stuff in order to make more room to fit new stuff in. This really is the center of her life and all she ever talks about. Starting around age 10 or 11, she constricted, constricted, conscripted, me into doing work for her. This strange cult of going through stuff, filing giveaway bags, making piles, digging through piles, futile rearranging and taking loads of stuff in the car to give away. We worked every day for seven or eight years, two to six hours each day, including Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, New Year's, birthdays, etc. Wow. My older sister and uncle were always very concerned about this being legitimate child labor violation. Oh, I mean, there's clearly so many childhood abuses going on here or that went on there. Not only was this work monotonous, frustrating, and how futile it was, no real progress was ever made, although we did manage to clear out an entire hoarder's house when she moved and stole my entire adolescence away. It was fucking painful. I was constantly being yelled at, told that I did everything wrong when I tried, told that I was lazy when I didn't try as hard, told I was stupid and stubborn, no one would ever love me, and best of all, called crazy. I thought something was wrong with me because as I saw it, other parents had their children do chores. So why do I get upset every time I have to do some work? Am I really this lazy? I lived every day with fear. I dreaded coming home for breaks off school. During those dreaded summer breaks, I would be so isolated that I would spend several weeks at a time, if not months, without ever spending time with someone other than my grandma. When I wasn't physically isolated from other people, I was psychologically isolated, forced to lie since I was four or five, unable to express what was going on on the other side of those closed blinds. In sixth grade, I became great, I became great friends with a girl from school and essentially became part of her family, which was amazing to me because I had never had a family unit. One day, my grandma oversaw me make a joke about her to that friend. Over the course of two years, my grandma broke down my relationship with them to nothing, even though I had held on so tight. She made lies after lies about why they were bad people, including that her friend made ugly faces, and when I spent time with her, I started copying those ugly faces. It was always somehow my fault, too. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Yes, I have positive memories with her. We used to have fun going out and trying different restaurants for lunch. I'm thankful that she provided needs for me while I was growing up and helped me out when I was in some difficult situations I couldn't get out of alone. 
She does cute and funny things sometimes, but it's so, so hard to appreciate any of it because there are bad feelings whenever I think of her or am around her. I mean, God, who who wouldn't? That is horrifying. Horrifying. So trapped. That kid was so trapped. Darkest thoughts. When I live with my grandma, I often wish that one day I'd get a call that she had died so that I could be free. And sometimes I envisioned strangling her to death or stabbing her. Sometimes I wonder if my dad died or finally succeeded in killing himself if I would feel anything at all. At times I wish that I was born without any genitals or sexual parts whatsoever, male or female, so that no one could make me feel vulnerable or objectified. I'm ashamed to admit that sometimes I wish my mental illness would get worse, specifically psychosis, so that I could understand the suffering my mom went through. I've had sexual fantasies about my therapist. I bet this is common, though. Yes, it is super common. Darkest Secrets. Very few people know that I was actually there the night that my mom killed herself when I was 11. I was too oblivious to know what was happening when she said goodbye and too paralyzed by fear to know to call 911. So I just watched her wheeze and her body go cold and no one was answering my calls and I didn't know what to do. So I just went off to school the next day and let someone else find her. My grandma found her and has seen and has seen the official autopsy results, but does not acknowledge that it was a suicide or that I was there while it was actively happening. I feel guilty that I didn't pay enough attention to her leading up to it, and then I never called emergency services. That is so heavy. And you were fucking 11 years old. Jesus. When I was 17... And licensed with only an instruction permit, I used to take my new, still uninsured car out for late night drives. One night I even drove drove an hour out to see a friend I met online and back in the middle of the night. Within a month, I totaled the car and the accident was my fault. I pissed my pants and fainted, although no one was hurt. After that, I was sickly paranoid that the cops and the people I hit were stalking me and showing up at my house. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being in control is incredibly sexy to me. I really want a cute submissive that respects me and loves me more than this world. Sometimes I feel like if a partner worshipped me enough, I would start to believe that I'm worthy. I don't think any person's love can fill us, fill us up. They can add to our life, but they can't fill that empty part that we need to fill ourselves. I know that sounds like such a new agey cliche, but it really is true. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my grandma in detail how fucking badly she has hurt me. I want her to really listen and to truly understand it, and I don't want her to say anything back. I know this is a pipe dream. Several years ago, after my first severe episode of depression, I told my sister that I had been struggling, but that somehow it was my own fault and that I was over it. I want to be able to open up with her about what I go through, but I can never get it out or it comes out wrong. Have you shared these things with others? Sparingly, but I long to express it fully without shame. 
so much so that it becomes the subject of almost all my writings and songs and that I feel like the people I live with think that I am, besides being a shut-in, an emo fuck that likes to masturbatorily dwell on their painful past. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel like avoiding my feelings by taking a bunch of kratom, kratom? K-R-A-T-O-M, and sleeping all day, but I already did that the last two weeks straight, and it's a tired theme. I am hopeful that someone will will relate and not all my suffering will be for nothing. Man, thank you. Thank you for going so, so deep on that. Whew, that was intense. That was really intense. The picture that you painted of being that kid stuck in that house full of shit and your sadistic grandma. This is from the love survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Disco Pickle. We all love a good Disco Pickle. He writes, I love when I'm in the kitchen and I hear my cat, Gomez, come prancing in. The rhythm of his gait instantly makes me smile. I love sore legs from a wonderful hike. I love when I'm able to nurse back to health a dying plant. I love meandering around aimlessly in the city. I love turning off all the lights and watching the rain or snow come down from the warmth of my home. Oh, those are great. Those are great. I have two orchids that I thought I had killed, and somebody told me, no, they can come back sometimes, months after it looks like they're dead, and they came back. They came back. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself King Flippy Nips. And he identifies as bisexual. He's in his 20s. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I never reported it. My brother showed me how to masturbate when I was about nine years old and he was about 16 years old. From there, we started masturbating together on a regular basis and I ended up giving him oral sex and penetrating him on more than one occasion. He tried penetrating me once but wasn't able to get it in. I feel really gross about it. It used to be something I just wouldn't acknowledge happened, but in my current relationship with my girlfriend, I began to realize how much it shaped the way I view sex, women, and probably contributed to my bisexuality. For a while during our relationship, I ended up masturbating with multiple men online, which came up as a result of couples therapy and me trying to be more open with her. She was very upset about this, and I can tell she doesn't trust me the same way she did before, which really hurts to see, and I don't know if we'll be able to weather it. And with my brother, I tend to feel less connected with him when I think about it and wonder why he didn't know better. If we were around the same age, I could maybe understand it better, but he was nearly an adult, and this continued well into him going to college. I don't know if this counts as abuse. Oh my God, it absolutely counts as abuse. But my mom would often talk about the size of my... Oh, you're talking about this. I don't know if this counts as abuse, but my mom would often talk about the size of my penis. Yes, that is abuse. That's super fucked up which made me pretty uncomfortable. I'm glad I have a large penis, but not something I want to hear from her. He 
He's been physically and emotionally abused. My mother has bipolar disorder and would go in between periods of laying on the couch nonstop to periods where she would clean, cook, etc. all day until 3 or 4 a.m. Mixing this with drinking and pot, she became very irritable and would scream at us over minor things like not getting chores done. According to my brother, she went at him with a knife one time while drunk and high. I only remember a couple of times that she ever got physical with me. I remember that she would follow me to spank me, and I would have to hold the door shut while she tried to push it open. Another memory from when I was very young was her simply pulling me aside and spanking me for absolutely no reason. I was minding my own business, and she spanked me in front of my father. As for my father, while he didn't abuse us, I feel like he let these things happen by staying with my mother and could have protected us better. Not to mention he has a very passive-aggressive style of speaking to us and that to this day, I feel like I'm under his control despite being 26 years old, which frankly embarrasses me. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Yes, my mother can be a very loving and fun person if you catch her at the right times. I remember she took me down to the big city in our region so I could practice photography. We would often visit her mother as well, which was fun, and I enjoyed both being there and going on the road with her. Darkest thoughts. I think about raping someone while they sleep or with a knife to their throat. I also fantasize a lot about being raped, especially gang-raped or repeatedly. Darkest secrets. I tried to have sex with my cat once, rubbing its genitals and hoping it would penetrate me. I quickly got embarrassed and apologized to my cat as if that would help. I also had a lot of sexual encounters with a girl when I was young, some of which were more manipulative towards the end of our friendship, like trying to get her to give me a massage while naked in a closet upstairs. I know I was young, about 12, but it's really painful to think about. She later came out as a lesbian. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Rape, three ways, gay sex, bestiality, large penises. I've come to term, terms with my sexuality, mostly though sometimes get worried about my rape fantasies considering how destructive they could be. You know, role-playing role with a consenting partner is a way that a lot of people can connect to that part of their sexuality without feeding it in an unhealthy way that, that harms other people or you know, crosses boundaries or escalates. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to say that I'm angry at my brother for the sexual abuse. It might give me some closure and allow us to have a relationship where I'm not holding on to that pain. I still like him, and I think he told me once he was abused as well, but I can't remember, so I would be able to forgive it. I'd like to say to my dad that he is more controlling than he thinks he is and that he shouldn't be checking over my credit card account and trying to shame me about how much I've spent. I feel like I haven't grown up because of this. I wish for a stable life, doing something I enjoy and with people who I love and love me back. I've shared this with, the, with therapists and my girlfriend. It went well with both, usually better than I think it will go whenever I share something painful. How do you feel after writing these things down? Tired, but thankful I'm feeling strong enough to face these things head on rather than just letting them boil over in ways that aren't productive. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Holding painful things in builds pressure over time that will completely blow your life apart. It's not weak to get help, and you will be weakened over time if you don't. 
Amen. And thank you for that. There's a lot. There's a lot in there. A lot in there. And, you know, as I was reading it, I think you hit the nail on the head in the end, which is to turn around and face these things, you know, instead of just wanting to compartmentalize them and bury them. And um, because that can get so, so corrosive. This is from the love survey filled out by a woman who calls herself tail wags and face licks. She writes, I love when I get to work on something and I look up in what feels like minutes and it's really been hours. I love running with my dog in weather, snow, rain, sleet, thunderstorms. It feels empowering, adventurous, and gives an appreciation for calm weather. I love holding a hot teacup so the steam warms your face and the mug heats your hands. That's such a great one. And I love this next one. Trying to do yoga and ending up in a wrestling match with my dog on the mat. (laughs) That that is so easy to picture. (laughs) Thank you for those. Uh, This is a loves survey filled out by a non-binary woman who uh, refers... Uh, I don't know if what pronoun they prefer. Uh, Julia, the exhausted gay ginger. And they write, I love that for once in my life, I can get a break from my intense OCD. My new position as a psychological research assistant has me organizing files, doing data entry, and formatting spreadsheets. All of these tasks are very tedious but very detail-oriented. I have to be perfectionistic in particular in order to perform them correctly. It brings peace to the constant intrusive thoughts by taking advantage of my compulsive outbursts. I love how, for once, my disorder works in my favor. That is such a great one and such a great way of of accepting where you are and finding a way to work with your brain instead of wishing that it were different. Um, This is a question that I got uh, from somebody on a survey, uh, they write, I have a terrible memory, so maybe you've already done an episode on this, but is there anything about how sibling trauma might shape the experiences of other siblings or family? I recently found out my older sister was sexually abused as a teen, and I just wonder how that has affected the development of our relationship. You should listen to the episode with, uh, Mariel Hemingway. I think you would get a lot from that one. And it's a great episode as well. Um, the family that she comes from, she talks a lot about the history, starting with her grandfather, Ernest Hemingway, and um, all of the trauma and drama in her house uh, growing up and how it has affected her. This is from the love survey filled out by Kraken Queen, and she writes, I love that moment when I fall in love with a song for the first time, like I'm scooped up by a cloud, and before I can realize what is happening, I feel a chill come up my core. Goosebumps raise on my arms, and my whole body tingles. I smile and laugh. I cry. My soul is being fed, and I fucking love it. That's great. That is great. I love when there are songs where you can listen to them over and over and they do that. Give Me Shelter by the Rolling Stones does that for me. That one section where the woman's voice cracks just every time I hear it, I get goosebumps. I think they're goosebumps. 
They might be genital warts. <laughs> That's my friend Rich Brown's joke. <laughs> oh. Uh, and then this is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Slammin' Salmon. He writes, I was ending a partial hospitalization program and took a picture in the stairwell on the way out. I used it as the background for an Instagram post a few days later. Someone who I've only recently been talking to responds to the Instagram post asking where I was going to therapy. I'd not mentioned therapy in the post. I questioned whether to be honest with them about being in such an intense psych program and decided in the moment to tell the truth. Turns out that she had recently gone through the same program and had recognized the stairwell of the building from the picture I took. We ended up hanging out for the first time in almost 10 years. Thank you for reading. Isn't it? It's all about finding our stair, our stairwell buddies, man. Finding our tribe, our people. It's such a good feeling when you find your home. And then finally, this is uh, these are some loves from a gender fluid person who refers to themselves as Custer Beaten, and they write, "I love when my nine year old dog lets me hold him like he's a baby because he is." I love when ice cream is just the right amount of melted and has the perfect texture. Oh, do I love that one. Oh, it's so hard to let it sit there, though, until it's the right texture. I love the feeling of improvising on a recipe when I don't have the exact ingredients and the food comes out better than expected. That's such a good one. And then this last one, of course, I love. I love waking up just before my alarm goes off so I can really savor those last sweet moments with my bed and blankets. Thank you for those. Oh, thank you for all of the stuff that you guys fill out on the surveys. It means so, so much to me. And I know it means a lot to people that, that are listening and find friendship and kinship and knowing that they're they're not alone and um, you are not alone and thanks for listening everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way bizarrely